0: Lot of incredible things happening in Puerto Rico through uh, our Southern Baptist Convention's emphasis on relief. It's called Sin Relief, and uh, what they're doing there to, to help that island um, build back after those hurricanes and the earthquake in 2020, and, and just the things they're doing there that coincide with. The North American Mission Board's emphasis on church planning on that island of three and a half million people, and we're excited, looking forward to sending a team. Uh, It looks like in August. I got some dates on Friday, and so we're gonna look at that and see if it fits with our calendar. But it looks like we can send a team there in the month of August. And so to work with the church plant, do some sin relief work. uh, so it's awesome to be a part of that. And then this past weekend, my wife and I were away in West Virginia for something that was going on with her work, so we got to miss last Sunday morning, but I heard that uh, Michael Thomas, who was visiting, the missionary from New Zealand, uh, did really, really well sharing the, the story of how Israel fits into salvation, salvation history. And then I was able to get back just in time for the taste of Passover last Sunday afternoon. That was a special time together as we got to see how the gospel was told even through that feast way back in the Old Testament, the early period of the Old Testament. Now we're going to pick up in our study through the Gospel of Luke, and so if you will find your place there in Luke chapter 9, we're going to be beginning in verse 7. This morning, I want to speak to the subject of the ultimate question. Questions are something that we are all familiar with. Questions are things that we use on a regular basis. We might even say that they're a major part of life and our interaction with other people. We're constantly asking questions. In fact, we ask questions like this quite often. How's your morning going? Right? I welcome you this morning, and I basically said, how are you doing? Well, welcome to Red Lane. How's your morning? We will ask questions like, how's your family doing? Are they well? In the context of uh, the corporate world and our professional lives, we're going to ask, like, how's things at the office? How, how are your employees? How's your job? How's business? We might even ask how your vacation was when we return from uh, retreating with our family. Someone may ask, Hey, can you help me learn my job better? Can you help me execute the assignment that you've given me? I need some professional development. Can you help me? So we're asking questions all the time. We go to a restaurant. Many of you will go to a restaurant this afternoon after worship. And and so if we go long today, you're going to be wondering, How how am I going to beat the Methodist to the restaurant? (laughs) It doesn't matter. You're still going to ask the question What's the special today? Right? What's on the menu? get together with our friends, maybe family, and we're going to talk about sports, and we're going to ask, how's your team? Are they going to make the playoffs? Right now, if you're a college basketball fan, we're all looking at the schedule and how our resume fits against other schools, and we're wondering, are we going to make the big dance? We ask questions all the time. It's part of living in this world. Questions literally encompass every facet of our lives. And so, I came across an article in Forbes magazine from back in 2021 this week in this article, Goldie Chan argues that questions are vitally important to everyone. She says this, and I quote, The power of asking questions in both your work and personal life cannot be understated. End of quote. I think she's on something. I believe what she says there is true. You see, we clearly see all of this, th- this conversation at play in our lives. We especially see it in the lives of children. If you have children or if you have grandchildren, you know they are incessantly asking questions. They're always wondering about the why. They're always pondering the inquisitive how. They want to know how things work, why things work, and are we there yet? Amen? I was on a bus ride in Puerto Rico last week, and we just kept going up and down these mountains, these little windy roads, and I found myself asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Over and over again. Twisting and turning. We ask questions. Students or as kids grow into teenagers and on into adulthood, the asking of questions begins to wane a little bit as now they're seeking to be the one who has the answers to the questions. And yet, while adults, we may want to have all the answers to the questions of life, here's the reality we never level out of questions. We all ask them every day about most everything, and so it's good to ask questions, and it's good to be interested in learning more and more and more. As Chan emphasizes in her article, this is good both in our personal as well as in our professional lives. The pericope or the passage that we're going to look at this morning, these two groups of verses are going to show us that it's not only good for our personal life and our professional life, it is good for the soul. It's good for our souls to be asking questions because the asking of a certain question, this ultimate question that we're going to lay before you this morning, can mean the difference between life and death, spiritual life and spiritual death. We've been working through this gospel over the last several months. We've learned much We've learned that Jesus is Lord over nature. We've seen him calm the storms on the Sea of Galilee. We've seen that Jesus is Lord over demonic as he has cast demons out. We've seen that Jesus is Lord over sickness as he has healed people both lame and blind. We've seen that he is Lord over even death as he has resurrected the dead. Jesus is Lord over all things. He possesses all power in this world. We've also seen that when Jesus encounters people and and people encounter Jesus, he transforms their lives. Jesus has this power to take broken people and reform them, transform them through his power and for his glory. We even saw a couple Sundays ago as Pastor Nate was sharing in that passage that deals with Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus people that Jesus has the ability... To use his disciples to do amazing things, to transform people's lives, to provide food for them. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and doing wonderful things. And so as he fed those people there in Bethsaida who enjoyed a fish supper... They, like you and I today, still might question the identity of Jesus Christ. You see, as we see Jesus doing miraculous things and hearing stories of Jesus doing miraculous things, we often wonder, who is this Jesus? We're asking a question ourselves. How can Jesus put ourselves in Bethsaida? How can Jesus take five tortillas and two sardines and feed such a great multitude? We ask in the lives of people that we know, how can Jesus take this person who is steeped in sin and broken beyond repair and literally transform their lives? Who is this Jesus? That's the ultimate question that is being asked in this passage, and it's the ultimate question that we need to wrestle with in our own lives. And it's what we're going to see right off the bat here is a man named Herod the Tetrarch was also asking this ultimate question. Look with me in verse 7. Luke tells us, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the other prophets of old had risen. Herod said to himself, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And so he sought to see him. Look over at verse 18. Luke says, Now it happened that as he, that's Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Who is Jesus? Jesus. This is the ultimate question of life. I believe it's the ultimate question for us to wrestle with, and it's the ultimate question for us to come to a biblical understanding and give a biblical answer for. Luke here in his gospel beautifully and strategically sets this question before his readers. He's setting it before Theophilus, and he is setting it before us today. The first phrasing of this question came from Herod in response to the people's speculation. Herod is this ruler and he's hearing these people speculate about who Jesus is. And so he's wondering about who Jesus is. See, in response to all of the miracles, in response to the powerful teaching that they were hearing in the land, the people wondered if Jesus was one of these particular men. They wondered if he was John the Baptist. Resurrected. Now that perplexes me because I wonder: Do you not know that Jesus is a contemporary of John the Baptist? How could he possibly be resurrected? And yet, you got to remember: These people only know what they're hearing. They, They didn't know Jesus in Nazareth. They didn't know Jesus in Bethlehem. They didn't know Jesus earlier in life. They're just now beginning to hear these stories, and they're wondering if John the Baptist, who was beheaded and killed by Herod, has all of a sudden been resurrected. Others are saying, well, this this clearly is Elijah. This is fulfillment of of Malachi's prophecy. John the Baptist was was a great teacher, but Elijah was supposed to come back. And this is surely Elijah's because what we're hearing of Jesus is greater than John. Then others were saying, well, he's clearly a prophet of old. Maybe it's Isaiah. Maybe it's Jeremiah. Maybe it's Moses. Maybe it's Father Abraham. It's clearly someone of renown. And so Herod is contemplating all of this. And and while he's contemplating, he also knows everything that happened in John's life because he was there and he ordered his execution in response to Herodias' request, his wife, a wife that he took from his brother. He knew that he had been killed. He knew that he had been beheaded. And so as he thought about John and as he thought about what he was hearing of Jesus, there were certain aspects of what Herod was hearing about Jesus that was eerily similar to what he knew about John the Baptist. And so Luke tells us parenthetically that because of that, he was seeking to see him. He wanted to know more. The second phrasing comes Later on in verse 18, as Jesus, who's with his disciples, asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? What's the opinion poll that is out there? It's interesting that in moving to this account, Luke is skipping over seven important events that Mark lays out in his gospel about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. As we've said throughout this Work or this walk through the Gospel of Luke, each Gospel writer has a, has a specific intention, has a, stru- a specific purpose in writing. And so Luke here is writing to a man named Theophilus, and he, he's got two volumes in this work the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Luke is writing this work to speak to Theophilus, to ground him in the things that he's been taught about Jesus and about salvation. He wants him to be able to understand the answer to life's ultimate question. So Jesus' question here to his disciples about his identity is interesting. It took place in a place called Caesarea Philippi. We learned that in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew's account... Uh, in his gospel, the location was named by Philip II. Philip II was a son of Herod the Great uh, a few generations before this. Uh, Philip II named this place in honor of the Roman S- uh, S- emperor Caesar Augustus. Uh, this place is located on the sl- slopes of Mount Hermon, or Mer- Mount Hermon. It's, it, it's in a place that has a, a, a steep rock face, it, it's, it's a place that was. Um, Dedicated to the worship of the god named Pan. It was referred to as Banias Springs. These springs flowed out of the rock face. This water source came bubbling up out of this giant um, cave. Do we have that picture on the screens? Do I not have a screen back here? Y'all need to turn that TV on, I guess. I didn't think we had screens, so I was wondering if that was there. So on the screens, you'll see this. This is Benaiah Springs in the location known as Caesarea Philippi. Some of us who were in Israel this week last year were able to stand here. This is a picture I took. And so Jesus is here with his disciples in this place called Caesarea Philippi, and he's gathered them here for the purpose of asking them this question. This region was dedicated to the worship of the Greek god known as Pan. A a god that was known or believed to be sensual, to be brutal. He was depicted as being half human and half goat. And the people in that area feared him. They feared being tortured and raped by him if they went out into the woods. And so they would sacrifice goats. And they would participate in lewd sexual acts to appease him. As you can imagine, the... The, 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 the uh, results of these lewd sexual acts resulted in children. And so part of the worship of Pan was child sacrifice. They would take these illegitimate children and in the face of this cavern, and you see the big white rock there. As back in the day, the water bubbled up out of the ground at this point. Now it has reoriented itself. It comes out at another place. But back then, The water came out of this cavern, and in the midst of this water was that large white rock, and the priests would walk out into that water, take those babies or those children of illegitimacy that were the offspring of this worship of Pan, and they would take those children and dash them on the rock. The blood would flow down into another cavern, come out in another place, and they knew that Pan was appeased when the water downstream would turn blood red. It's an awful, awful place. Jesus takes his disciples to this place and he asks them the question, who do the people say that I am? But he doesn't end there. He doesn't stay there. He asks them, who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus wasn't so much concerned about what the crowd were saying because the crowd got it wrong. The crowd was saying the same thing that the other crowds were saying. Maybe it's John, maybe it's Elijah, maybe it's another prophet. We're not sure, but it's surely one of them. They, they, they believed it to be a religious person. They believed there in the supernatural that, that Jesus was the resurrection of one of these men. They were close to the things of God, but they were missing it. Jesus turns the question and he says, not just who do the crowd say that I am, but who do you say that I am? It's the more important question. Peter there stands up and on behalf of the 12 disciples, he says, You are the Christ of God. Matthew in his gospel gives us a fuller statement, a fuller confession. He there records, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so in response to Peter's confession and answer to the ultimate question, Jesus states that upon this rock, upon this confession, the church will be built and the gates of hell Shall not prevail against it. I wonder could it be that Jesus brought his disciples to this wicked place known for its spiritual darkness to show that there are only two options light and darkness? Light that brings life and darkness that brings death. Could it be that Jesus used this backdrop to teach the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church? The business of the church is to call people from darkness into the light. I want us this morning to consider this ultimate question, and we're going to do so in three ways. First of all, we see them asking the question, right? As you read through these two different passages asking the same question, they're asking the question, right? Who do the people say that I am? Who are the people saying that Jesus is? They're asking this question. And so the people in Galilee and the people in Judea, they all knew something of Jesus. Some of them had first-hand experience with Jesus. They perhaps were in Capernaum. Perhaps they were there on the Sea of Galilee or around the Sea of Galilee. And, and they saw Jesus and they heard Jesus teach. They saw him do miracles. Right, They had this firsthand experience with Jesus in their presence, Jesus in their midst, and they saw miraculous things happen. They saw the blind receiving their sight. They saw the person who was brought in lame getting up and walking out. They saw the person who was infirmed and sick and near their death restored and healed. Perhaps they even were in and they saw that widow walking with her final only son. Her husband's been dead. Her son is now dead. They're headed to the cemetery, and Jesus comes up, and he touches the casket, and perhaps they saw that. Others had even more firsthand experience. They perhaps were the one that were healed by Jesus. But They're asking this question. Who is this man? Who is Jesus Christ? People in Palestine were also asking this question. They were wanting to know who Jesus was. They heard stories about this. They had second and third hand information. They they knew something of Jesus. They just couldn't fully grasp his identity and how he could be someone so great. Same is true for us today, right? Right? We ask the question, who is Jesus? We read the stories in the Bible. We've been reading and studying these stories through the Gospel of Luke. And and we're wondering, who is this Jesus? Does he really have the power of God to touch a dead person and bring that person back to life? Does Jesus really have the ability to take a a sick man and bring healing to his life? Does Jesus have the power to transform me? the Bible tells me I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, but can Jesus really resurrect my life? We wonder about Jesus. We're asking the question, and it is good to ask the question, Who is this Jesus? Have you asked the question? Have you asked yourself? Have you tried to investigate? Have you tried to understand who Jesus is? It's good to ask the question, but we dare not stop there. You see, the very purpose of asking a question is to seek an answer. I know sometimes we may ask a question, we really don't want to know an answer, but that's rare. The whole purpose, the sole purpose of asking a question is to find an answer. And that's where we move next. They're asking the question. They're also answering it. They're answering the question. The Jews who were seeing miracles and the Jews who were hearing these incredible stories about Jesus were asking the right question. and They sought an answer, so they answered it based on what they knew of God and how God works. You see, they saw God's hand and power at work in Jesus, and so they came to the conclusion he must surely be a prophet. So no one else could do these things. It's got to be John the Baptist. We saw John preaching in the wilderness. We saw John calling people to repentance and faith. We saw John baptizing. Surely Jesus has to be the resurrection of John because there is so much similarity between the two. Jesus preaches with authority, Jesus teaches with authority, Jesus has compassion, Jesus calls people to repentance. And that seems very similar to John. He has to be the resurrection of John. Or maybe it's Elijah. Man, Elijah did all of these miracles. Elijah was bold and courageous. He stood there on Mount Carmel, and he called fire down from heaven against the prophets of Baal and the Asherah, and 800 of them were killed. Surely he's like Elijah. He's the resurrection embodiment of Elijah. Maybe he's the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah. Maybe he's Moses. He's someone that God has touched. He's someone that God is using. So they're answering the question based upon what they know of God and how he has worked. They knew Jesus was not merely a new prophet. He has to be someone that God has moved in in a powerful way. I believe it's interesting as you read these verses and you think about what's going on here, how close they are to the gospel. They believe in the supernatural. They believe in the resurrection. They believe God speaks through his messengers. They believe they need to listen to that message. They're so close to the gospel and yet clearly missing it. Who do the crowds say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, or a prophet of old? They're answering the question and yet came to the wrong conclusions. You know, most people come to the wrong conclusions about Jesus. Most people will not answer the ultimate question like Peter did. Most people, when you try to have a gospel conversation and you're talking about the identity of who Jesus is, they're not going to stand up like Peter and say, He is the Christ of God. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was prophesied to come. He's the one who died on the cross for sins, shed his blood for the payment of sin. He's the one that was put in the grave and bodily resurrected. That's who Jesus is. Most people won't say that because most people will not believe that. That's where the crowds were. They missed it while even answering the question. They would say great things about Jesus and yet fail to acknowledge his true identity that he is Christ and he is the son of God. We dare not today come to the wrong conclusion even if we say good things about Jesus because he was a teacher. He was a good moral man. He was a great example. He was a religious leader. He was a worker of miracles. All of those things are true, and yet they don't tell the full story. I love how C.S. Lewis, in his uh, classic work called Mere Christianity, uh, lays out this vivid point when he says, and I quote, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. In other words, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Listen to this. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. End of quote. Who is Jesus. Well, the Bible emphatically answers this question for us. Peter says that in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's no bones about who Jesus is. And so this morning as we seek to answer this question, the Bible answers it for us. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed of God, prophesied to come, and he has come to die As a sacrifice for our sins. That is who Jesus is. So they're asking the question, they're answering the question, but this morning, let's settle the question. Because the Bible leads us and we see that Jesus is settling the question. Jesus goes on and he presses the disciples for a personal answer to life's ultimate question. He's not so much concerned about the crowd, he wants to know about them individually. And so it's imperative that we never allow ourselves to to be satisfied with following the crowd, with being satisfied with going along with what others believe. We need to know for sure. We need to have our own conviction about the identity of Jesus Christ. What did we do this morning as we were singing both in the light and in the dark? We declared the identity of Jesus Christ. Amen? We sang about how Jesus is the Son of God. And that whoever would believe in him, whoever would turn to him, whoever would call upon his name should be saved from their sins. We sing John 3.16. We're calling out the identity of Jesus Christ. We sing about the King of Kings, right? The glorious King of Kings who has come on our behalf. We sing the identity of Jesus. So as a church, we as a crowd declare our convictions. We declare our beliefs. And we need to rightfully do so. But we can only have a corporate confession if we first have individual confession. I have to believe in my own heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the living Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is the propitiation, the the, the satisfaction, the appeasement for my sin. You see, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm also a local member of this church, a member of this local church called Red Lane Baptist. Together we believe. As I said, Jesus is the Christ. Together we declare that he is the son of the living God. And it's awesome to belong to this church. And it's awesome to be a part of God's kingdom family. Because I'm not just a member of this local church. I'm a member of the big C church. Past, present, and future. All places and all times. I'm a member of the kingdom. And if you know Jesus Christ, you are too. That is a privilege we should never shy away from. That is a privilege that we should relish in. The only reason I'm in this favored position is because on April 24th, 1997, 25 years ago, I responded in faith to the gospel. I turned from my sin and experienced the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. You see, on that day, I settled life's ultimate question for me. God used one verse of scripture. Well, he used a lot over many years. But one verse of scripture that day brought me to faith, brought me to repentance. John chapter 5. He who has the first John chapter five, He who has the Son, SON, has life. He who does not have the Son, SON, does not have life. I realized on that day I only had religion and good intentions, but no eternal, lasting spiritual life. And so on that day I responded in faith, answering the ultimate question of life: Who is Jesus? That day he became my Lord, and he became my Savior. I didn't settle it based on what I think. I didn't settle it based on what others thought. Though all of that was influential. I'd read the Bible. I'd been in church. I'd sat under the teaching of the gospel. I'd led people to faith in Jesus. Up to that point, I was as religious as could be. But I wasn't settled on what others believed or what others taught. God in his word on that day brought me under deep conviction of my own sin and the reality of Jesus' love for me and his grace that would redeem that sin. And so I answered the question for myself based solely on what God's word declares and in response to how God's spirit awakened my spirit to new life. You see, after Peter declared his great confession of faith in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew's account of this, Jesus responded by saying this, Matthew 16, 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, the Bible is God's full revelation to humanity. We can know nothing of God outside of what is revealed within the canon of Scripture. We can look at the sunset. We can look at the ocean. And we can know there is a God because there's something. But we really don't know much more than that. We open the canon of scripture, those 66 books, and God's word begins to show us who God is. Show us what he's like, how he wants to respond, how he wants to know us and draw us to himself. God's word speaks to us and teaches us. It works in conjunction with God's spirit, guiding us into all truth. And so this morning, have you settled the ultimate question for yourself based upon God's word and God's spirit as he speaks and calls you to himself? Who is Jesus in your life? C.S. Lewis rightly concluded that Jesus can only be a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. The Word of God makes that abundantly clear. And so this morning, do you believe the testimony of Scripture about Jesus Christ? We all ask questions we ask and we ask and answer dozens of questions each and every day if you have children you've already asked or you've already answered their dozens of questions this morning as you were getting ready for church so we know about questions but what about this one question have we asked that question to ourselves have we answered that question in our own hearts and in our own minds it's good to ask it's good to be interested in learning the verses here that are before us this morning reveal that asking and answering one particular question—think about this—can be the difference between life and death, eternal life and eternal death. What we believe with Jesus, what we believe about Jesus, is everything. Think about that; it's everything. What we believe about Jesus is everything. Let me add a little bit to that. Not so much, or it's. It's more than just what we believe about Jesus. James tells us the demons of hell believe and shudder. Let's take it a step further. What we believe about Jesus and believing on Jesus for is everything. I can know he's Lord and Savior and and yet in my rebellious spirit reject him all the way to hell saying Jesus Christ is Lord and Jesus Christ went to the cross and Jesus Christ's blood pays the penalty for my sin, but it's until I believe on him for that forgiveness that he's provided. That's where that question needs to lead us. Not just Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God and Jesus is Savior. Has he become your Lord and has he become your Savior? Who is Jesus in your life? Have you answered and settled this question for yourself? question must be settled by each of us individually. You can't avoid it. You can't duck it. You can't put off the question. The Lord of Lords is asking all of us, what do we believe about him? Who do you say that I am? Our answer will make all the difference. It's a one question pop quiz. Think about that. It's a one question pop quiz. Pass or fail. You're either in Christ Or you're in your sin. You're either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. You're either on your way to heaven and eternal relationship with God. Or you're on your way to a devil's hell. I want us to stand this morning. I want us to think about this question. I I was thinking earlier, because this message today is so evangelistically driven... I don't believe there's a, well, there's a demon behind everything, but I don't think everything that happens is, is because something, spiritual warfare is going on, and yet there's spiritual warfare taking place today. I believe God is wanting to speak to our lives in such a dramatic way this morning that the devil of hell will do everything he can to distract us, perhaps even cutting the electricity off. So stand to your feet. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think about this question that we've laid before you. What is the answer that you've come up with in your life? How have you settled it for yourself? This morning, do you know for certain that you are in relationship with Jesus Christ? Think about that moment, that day. Better yet, can you with great certainty point out that since the day that you heard the gospel and believed the gospel and believed on Jesus, that there's a track record of transformation in your life. Because here's the, here's the reality, praying a prayer, walking an aisle, even being baptized, having your name on the church roll won't do anything for you. But if you have come to a place of faith and repentance... Jesus has transformed your life and there's evidence of him continuing to transform your life that you can confidently say this morning, I've settled that question for myself. And not, not by what I've done, not by what I have conjured up, not by what I've done religiously, but I've settled that question because I believe the gospel, and I believe Jesus is Lord, and I believe Jesus is Savior, and I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe his blood is uh, effective to forgive my sins, and I believe he is coming back, and I believe he loves me because the Bible tells me so. How have you answered and settled that question in your own heart? This morning in this room, watching us online, there are people who've answered that question religiously, but we're not talking about religion. We're talking about spiritual transformation. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never fully turned from your sin and you've never had him change your life, this morning, the message is for you. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you answer the question for yourself by saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to change this old, cold, wicked heart. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of all the things that I've been doing. I want to come home to the God who created me for himself. God, forgive me and cleanse me and change me. This morning, we're going to have a time of... Response like we do every Sunday morning. And this is an opportunity as Trevor and Janelle sing and as we sing as a congregation. This is an opportunity. If you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, again, walking the aisle doesn't do that. Shaking my hand doesn't do that. But you turning from your sin and confessing faith in Jesus, that will do that. And I want to give you a response, an opportunity to do just that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. God, we thank you for this moment that you had with those disciples. You were sitting there with them, and you asked them this question. at a very dark place, a spiritually dark place, there in that, the, 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 the backdrop of that godless, secular, wicked place, you asked the disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" God that shows us vividly. That we live in one of two worlds. The world of wickedness and sin. That we can dress that up and we can make that look really good even with our religion. And yet we are dead to the core. But in Christ we can be made alive. We can be in the midst of a wicked world. We can be in the midst of sinfulness. And yet Jesus you can transform us and make something living come from the dead. Make something beautiful come from that which is repugnant. So this morning, draw us to faith. I pray for that man in this room who comes faithfully with his wife, maybe not because he wants to, or perhaps you're beginning to lead that man in that direction. But it's not enough to just come to church, even if they want to. God, that man needs to come to Jesus. May today be the day. The same would be true of women and teenagers and children this morning. God, help us to ask, answer, and settle this question in our hearts. Jesus would not just be a religious figure, someone we look up to, but God, may he be Lord and Savior of our lives. Speak and move in this time of response. God, help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.